Welcome back everyone to Merch Conflict. Happy holidays, almost happy new year. Oh my goodness, it's Christmas <laughs> Eve here. And I don't. we're not wearing any, are you wearing any Christmas? I got nothing, I got no. a Microsoft shirt on. Merry Christmas from I'm, Microsoft. I'm, I, I wear my Galaxy shirt and people see Christmas stars in it. So that that's, nice. this is my Christmas sweater. This is, you know, as, as festive as I tend to get. I don't, I don't think I have any Christmas attire. Heather, I bought Heather a, um, a holiday sweater that she wears once a year, every year, which is a Drake, (laughs) a Drake one. Um, and it says, um, yeah, it has like, a uh, some rhymes on it, some, some holiday (laughs) verses, if you will. But mm-hmm. uh, she just wears it every year. And I was like, oh, you know, just for one day and that's it. But I was like, that makes sense because you're probably not going to want to wear this Christmas well, sweater in all year round. I don't know. The problem I, with me is I, I love my one actual Christmas sweater and I do want to wear it all year long. But people give me weird looks, so I don't do it. So I, I always look forward to the Christmas season so that I can wear my sweaters. Yeah. Plus, I'm I, a cold weather kid. I have a lot of sweaters. I'm just kind of going to put some. I'm going to put some on after this. All right. Well, let's get okay. into it. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> if you are listening to this on Christmas, awesome. Thank you. If you're after Christmas, that's great too. Um, I want, before we get into it, this is episode, what is it, 390? 390. Three, who knows? Oof. Who knows? Can you even count that high? I'm not even sure. Like, it's a lot. God we have computers. They can tell us these numbers. 390. Now we have. Uh, put out 395 uh, Mm. because we had some bonus episodes here and there. And we've had so far since our origin, uh, (laughs) 2.5 million downloads of our pods. So thank you, everyone. 2.5 million. That means like what we're saying is being heard by people. I I have to keep that in mind sometimes. (laughs) I have to be careful of what I say from time to time because, wow, 2.5 million. You're all awesome. Thank you for listening and watching. (laughs) Yes, we super appreciate it. And, you know, through the years of ups and downs, you know, there's highs and lows of episodes. And we've gone, you know, we have a very dedicated uh, folks out there. You know, people are always interested in how we do. You know, every month we get about like 20 ish thousand downloads of all of our podcasts combined, which is great. In our epi- episodes, you know, pull in somewhere around four to five thousand. The, the episodes per. where you pick the topic, we get a lot of viewers and listeners. The ones I pick, well, no one shows up for. But I get it. I understand people. You're here for James. It's the James show. No. Well, now we are specifically coming up on a, another big milestone besides 2.5 million downloads, which is we're almost at 300 hours of content. We're at. 287 <laughs> right now. Um, how many CDs is that? Like if we wanted to do the box set, how heavy would it be? <laughs> that's a great question. It is 12 days. So, you know, I mean, I, think I, I don't want to do the math. I always I think, mess up the math. <laughs> I think it's you can fit. I don't know how many, like 75 minutes, 70 per, minutes. Yeah, something like that. So it's quite a lot. So if you did two, 287 an hour. times 60. Bye bye 70. We're talking 250 CDs easily. So that is worthwhile. I think you all should have save up your pennies to afford the box set that we'll probably never release. <laughs> yeah. Now that's what I call merge conflict number two. Yeah. You blah, blah. Right, anyways, so I just want to give some fun stats to kind of kick off mm-hmm. the, the show, you know, and of course, thanks to our amazing sponsors. If you've heard throughout the years and of course, our good friends over at Sync Fusion who've been with us from the very beginning, which is amazing. And we'll see if they're back in 2024. I have to imagine. Yes. Uh, other fun stats, most folks are from the U.S. We do have 9% from the U.K., 
6% from Germany. Um, I guess that's going to be another 5% from Australia, 4% from Canada, 4% from Brazil, um, 3% from Poland, 3% from Croatia, 3% from Sweden. Hello. Wow. So we need to learn German, Portuguese, Serbo-Croatian. What else was in there? We need to do some specialized episodes. whole bunch of stuff. Now, as always, Apple Podcasts is our number one platform in which people listen to us. However, uh, number two, uh, there's a bunch of like other, you know what I mean? So there's a bunch of other. other. A, that's 29% Apple Podcasts. That's quite a lot. They still run the market, huh? Yeah. Good 11, for you, Apple. <laughs> 11% overcast, which means that that must be 40% just on iOS as far as we know. And then there's Pocket Cast, which is the podcast mm-hmm. I, application I use. And Podcast Addict is like uh, 3%, CastBox, oh. 2%. I, I feel a little dumb. I don't know Podcast Addict. I should look either. that one up. I know yeah. CastBox. Yeah, so that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, let's see any other fun stats. No, that's all I got. So, <laughs> uh, average duration, 43 minutes holding strong. So there you go for our 30 minute podcast. So in other words, we never hit our mark. Great. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> yes. Uh, our very first episode was put out in, uh, 2016. Yes. J- July, 2016. So seven years ago, seven and a half years ago. Wow. Wild. Something like that. That was nearly, well, two administrations ago. <laughs> That's a wild measure time in American administrations. <laughs> yeah. Now, if this is your first podcast, every 10 episodes, we do lightning topics. And that was our first one right there. Fun facts <laughs> and stats from marriage conflict. All right. Um, Frank, 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 let's talk about holiday hacks. Uh, okay. I got two um, over here. We got uh, lightning topics, by the way, six, six ish topics, five minutes each. There we go. Uh, two hacks. One's not a hack, but I did pick up. I'm really into these little emulation uh, stations type of things. And we talked about this, the the retro um, one that I had before. This is a R36S. These are little this is a Linux based one. My other one was an nice. Android one. I had a little Game Boy SP one. This was thirty five dollars oh um, from AliExpress. It did take about a month to get here, but. $35. How many viruses did it come with? How many viruses do you get with it? Uh, it came with us. Uh, <laughs> it, it came with th- 32 gigs of games on it. It came with 5,000 games. Those are 5,000. I had to delete all those and put my totally legal uh, actual ROMs on there. Now, this is a fun hack because these little Linux um, systems, unlike Android, have on one end, they can do dual boot, but on one end I have I'm pointing here on this little, this looks like it looks like a little Game Boy with like two little knobs. Um, one SD card for the OS and another one for the games. And what's oh. cool is that you have to go through this crazy formatting process and you have like dual boot layers and all these things. And you sideload these images of this uh, one is called ArcOS, A-R-K-O-S. I know that. You grab the distributable from, you feel like you're hacking the Gibson. You're like, grab a (laughs) file, an image, flash this thing, all these things scroll up the screen like crazy. And then boom, you totally have uh, games on here. And this can play all the way up to PlayStation 1, which is bananas um, in general. But it's a nice little one here. And I'm going to hold it up. Um, Now, this isn't like the most powerful system in the world uh but it it um for 35 dollars, i was like i'll give it a go it's got just a mono uh, speaker here and uh, has this really beautiful ui wow. that's yeah. arc os 
on there. So I can go in. I just uh, use this another another application for all my ROMs on here. It's called. Um, uh, bup, 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 bup. I'm going to look it up. It's in my downloads folder built with <laughs> .NET Framework. It's called Scraper, S-K-R-A-P-E-R. <laughs> and what it does is it will pull all of the artwork and images for all of your ROMs and create the game list profile for you. And this is pretty cool. It does a little box art. And if you let it hover, it does a little uh, video on it. Um, and that took like eight hours to, to, to scrub. And it calls a server in France. Um, <clears throat> I, became, I became a Patreon uh, so I could download oh, cool. things faster. So, and you can become a Patreon at MergeConflict.fm where you get <laughs> nice. stuff, bonus stuff. Anyways, that was one of my holiday hacks. Other holiday hack before I get into wait, yours. Wait, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Okay. You've been pitching these things for a few years now. And I got to yeah. say, that's the best looking one so far, it's especially because cool. it's Linux. I think you might have actually sold me on this one. I think I might have to pick one of these puppies up. Hopefully you'll put it in the show notes. I will put it in the show notes and I will, um, the retro game corpse is the one guy that I listen to a lot on. There's a few different, uh, YouTubers, but I like him a lot. He's based out of Hawaii. Um, and he has like his kind of favorite systems of the year. So I'll put that video in the show mm -hmm. notes and it's all different ranges. Uh, cause you know, this was 35 bucks. Uh, the other one I have was like a hundred bucks and then go all the way up to like several hundred bucks. You know, he talks okay. about like the, the, the bigger ones. But yeah, this is really nice. You know, it's not 100% pocketable, but if you wanted to go a little bit more, you could. I like this one a lot because I wanted to have something really nice for Game Boy games. And uh, this is, it looks like a Game Boy, basically. So, <laughs> and it's, it's pretty nice. It it's looks a little, little clicky. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for $35, they're either going to cheap out on the buttons or the screen or the CPU, or th there's so yeah. many places to cheap out. But um, the fact that you were able to show that on video and the screen was coming through tells me it's actually a half decent screen. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, it doesn't want a tiny pocket Linux machine. It's very true. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And like the, the ecosystem as you learn about it is very, very fascinating. So that to me, that's half of the hacking is like, learning about the emulation and learning about the other stuff. RetroArch is the, is the system and the emulators and all this other stuff. It's really crazy interesting uh, in general. And I feel like I probably won't even play it at all. To me, the fun <laughs> oh, is setting it up and I probably wasted hours nerd. upon hours. I mean, that that's the fun part, you know? Like, do I do I really want to play, um, you know, the Simpsons uh, meme? Maybe, you know, but I could. I played that. I put a lot of quarters in to play the Simpsons. That one I would actually want to play just because I spent so much money as a kid. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Uh, my other hack that I'm going to do live on my YouTube, which is I'm finally, Frank, it's happening. I am going to migrate my cadence to Donna Maui. It's happening. It's happening, people. It's going to happen. I'd like to say you're being forced into it, but we've all been forced into it and we were given a one year reprieve. But um, yeah, we all we all need to be doing some live streams of porting our apps over. Yeah. Uh, so I'll definitely tune in for yours. I want to see. I want to see what frustrates James. You're, you're always so smooth and calm. I, I want to see what, what actually gets you. I'm a, I'm a little worried because it's 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 a it's it's not it is a simple app, but it's also a little bit complex app. But I have a, a library that I forked, basically, that mm -hmm. does all my charting and graphing. And it's all based on Skia Sharp, and I'm a little worried about that one. So I might have to pull pull in a library from my good friends at Syncfusion. 
not sponsor <laughs> this week's pod, but could be, um, and just maybe re- and, and swap that puppy out in general. So, but we'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. What about you, Frank? You maybe have an update from last year? Or, uh, I don't even yeah, know what it was last year. This has been a very, very busy winter, so I haven't gotten to my own holiday hacks, but I am now um, staying with my mother, so I'm, I'm going to have a little time to kill, but I haven't come up with a holiday hack. I do want to give an update. Um, those who pay attention to the show, I have my automatic magic AI machine learning thermostat. Now, most people are smart. They just go to the store, buy a smart thermostat that automatically learns, gives you all those features. Yeah, James, you're pretty (laughs) smart. Um, uh, Otherwise, there are people like me who just want to build everything from scratch. I built my own smart thermostat from scratch. It was awesome. It is awesome. It learns. It learns my habits. It sets my house temperatures. It's fantastic, except it stopped working. Uh, (laughs) this is always the problem with these kinds of hacks is you know it actually takes a decent amount of engineering to make sure something survives and i was always wondering how long would my thermostat survive and it survived one year i'd like to tell you why it stopped working (laughs) yeah uh it's kind of interesting so my biggest design flaw was every request you do to the server it, it examines all of its data trains all the machine learning stuff in real time and then sends its response back to the little device Mm. at first that was fine it took a few milliseconds then after a couple months it took a second or two after a few more months it took eh, five seconds a few more months 10 seconds all of a sudden i was hitting tcp ip timeouts how do you fix tcp ip timeouts you increase it So I increased (laughs) my TCP IP timeouts to 30 seconds. And finally, I think Azure just decided, no, you're taking way too long on these requests. And so my biggest fault uh, that I did was it was uh, consuming all the data throughout the year, which is every five minutes, it has like 10 data points for an entire year, load all that into memory, train something, give a response. And so I, I need to do a little bit of re-architecture. I think the fundamental, um, the devices themselves are fine. The server is fine. It's running on Azure. It's going to be fine. Uh, it was just a bit of a design flaw that I put in there that it could never really summarize its old data or it would never retrain a network or it would never, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It, it, yeah. it couldn't incrementally update. It was doing everything from scratch every time. So yeah. I need to do a little bit of re-engineering. But otherwise, I want to say, A, it, it, it is awesome. It was awesome. It is awesome. B, it needs a little re-engineering. <laughs> I think that you could probably just train it off the last month or last two months because seasons change. Yeah. And that would probably be pretty decent. The other thing I'm really fascinated about, if you wanted to bring it in, is to tie in other smart thingies. So for example, mm-hmm. uh, SwitchBot, uh, which is a, a little IoT devices, all of their devices um, are API first. So you can actually get a key. This is actually pretty unique in the world of IoT because most IoT is like, oh, slap, don't do it. <laughs> but uh, Switchbot, they, Switchbot, they have a full REST API and you can get a client consumer thing for your devices that you register. Yeah. So for example, that means that you could have a sensor that you you know get off the shelf or you could have other lights or things like that and you could integrate it into your Things so you could say, okay, as I'm entering this room, turn this off, or as I'm entering yes. this area, make it different things. And it could learn perhaps where you're at in your house throughout the day. So that could be kind of cool too. 
Yeah, that that's the true smartness when it can yeah. start predicting you and your habits and things. The other little uh, glitch that I've run into, it's not even a glitch, but for instance, I just bought a new space heater and the space heater itself is smart. It hooks up into the Amazon family of Dingus devices. But sadly, my thing doesn't talk to those. So now I need to start running some API bridges where it talks to the Echo Echo uh, APIs and things like that. So it can interface with other smart things. It was always assuming that it was controlling a dumb device. Mm-hmm. I want it to be able to control a smart device also. Gotcha. So those will be my upgrades to last year's holiday hack. Nice. Yeah. And, and my holiday hacking is pretty lightweight because I'm only just taking this week off. So mm-hmm. really it's like Christmas and New Year's and there's only a few days in between family time. So I'm just trying to narrow it down, if you will, uh, which I think will be good. All right, Frank, mm-hmm. what do you got for me? I'm ready. Uh, I want to give, well, a little bit of an update again. I guess I'm in the update mood this year, but friend of the show, Nat Friedman, mm. he has Heard a little, him along with a few other people, have the Vesuvius Challenge. Have we talked about this much on the podcast? I'm not sure. I know that Nat while back and this might be the same thing maybe it's different he wanted to find like these old things and do machine learning on it to, like it describes in the languages good, and the things good, off of it good good summary no not a great <laughs> summary <laughs> uh but you did hit it um there are a bunch of scrolls found uh papyrus scrolls hmm. uh historians hate papyrus papyrus is awesome it's our first paper great uh but we hate papyrus because it deteriorates it falls apart it oh. turns into junk and uh, a bunch of old papyrus scrolls were found, hmm. but they're so fragile. They're rolled up into a scroll. They're so fragile, you can't unroll them. Oh, wow. So we can't read them because you got to unroll it in order to be able to read it. So the Vesuvius challenge was someone did a deep scan of them. I'm going to say X-ray, but I'm not even sure if it was X-rays or what. But some some frequency of photons was tossed into these things and we got some 3D imagery out of them. Oh, wow. The trick is a scroll is not 3D. A scroll is 2D wound up into a cylinder. And so the Vesuvius challenge has been to train machine learning networks, whatever, you use whatever technique you want and try to go from these high energy scans into something readable. Uh, it's most likely Greek. Um, could be, it could be other languages, but it's, it's most likely going to be Greek, even though it was found in Italy, uh, they, it could be Latin or Greek. And so the challenge just had a really good breakthrough, um, before, before this announcement, um, they had deciphered one word, the color purple, <laughs> someone was pretty good. The color purple could be yeah. anything. <laughs> it could be a Royal person bought a new shirt. Or it could be some trading of some mollusks from uh, Phoenicia. Who knows? Who knows what that color purple was involving? Uh, But there has been a new breakthrough where someone did what I'm excited to see. They did a full 3D reconstruction of the 3D scan and then used nice mathematics to unroll, like virtually unroll the scroll, which is really cool. Uh, So it's a real trick of figuring out what is text and what is damage versus what is background. A lot of the math then to figure out what layers, because if you think about something rolled up onto itself, it has multiple layers, try to try to discretize those layers, unroll them, and then find someone who can read some ancient Greek (laughs) and uh, give a shot at it. 
And this should be a, a, a really decent corpus of text coming out of, I think it was just one scroll that this is done on. But again, you're developing a technique. So hopefully you can use this technique on other things. Mm-hmm. And just from a historian's perspective, it's really cool to get wow. a whole new set of um, text to read. You know, um, archaeology is fun, digging through rocks and figuring out what people were doing with certain pots. But it's so much easier when we have written down words and people are like, I bought a purple shirt yesterday. And you're like, great. Good job, buddy. And so I'm excited for this new um, uh, well, translation and decipherment to come out. Really, bravo. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm totally blanking on the person's name who did this. But how cool is that? Using machine learning for, you know good instead of just fun. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And I mean, there's like a million dollars in prizes and sponsorships. And, you know, th- there was uh, Nat was doing something else be- before this as well. It was like something similar, but different. But yeah, this is really cool. Um, and yeah, I think there yeah, all the first letters were given away and there was the grand prize or whatever. Yes, this is, this is neat. I'll link to the main website, which is scrollprize.org. <laughs> Uh, which is neat. It gives you a lot of the background too, like about Mount Vesuvius and then like when it was discovered and like the the history of it. So that's neat. I mean, this is totally not my world. I'm not a history person yeah. at all, but still cool, you know, when things that are like you never thought in anyone's mind would ever become unraveled, right? It's sort of a, yeah. like a national treasure. Literally. Right? So, <laughs> it is. Cool. It's, it's also to see... Um, one of the things I'm most impressed about with archaeology is from such little evidence, if you just keep digging and thinking hard and digging and digging and digging, you can actually reconstruct these stories and things about people from ancient times. And it's just really wonderful to get a glimpse into the past. And it's cool just to see how technology evolving enables us to do this, right? Just a few years ago, you wouldn't be able to do some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, All right. On my list, I'm recording, I'm finishing a video right now, which is my favorite Visual Studio features of 2023. Um, I have a list here, but I do think I'm just going to break down. I'm going to give people two inside scoop two. Okay. Um, and my number, my number one feature that I think as a mobile developer, as a backend developer, is my favorite. Not only is it <laughs> integrated into Visual Studio, but it's also a CLI, which is Dev Tunnels, Frank. Um, it's so good. Okay. So Dev, Dev tunnels, tunnels. It's like Ngrok. You know Ngrok. James, you are saying words that mean nothing to <clears throat> me. You better explain yourself. Okay. Do you know, like, when you debug an API or a website, it runs on localhost? Oh yes, what I if, love localhost. <laughs> what if you wanted to create a tunnel to your local machine for development purposes that would give you oh. a full URL that you could then use like in a mobile app, so you could like test it on your phone. I could give it to you to test out. It could be a website, it could be an Azure function, it could be a Teams app, it could be an API. That's a dev tunnel. So it's actually integrated okay. directly into Visual Studio. There's like a VS Code extension as well, and there's a CLI as well. But what's neat about it is that you just go into Visual Studio and you can create uh, and name it. It can be persistent. So if every time you open your solution, your dev tunnel URL never changes. You can add authentication onto it if you want to. You can uh, make it public, private, or just to your org and expose it. So this is amazing. And I show this uh, often. I've shown it off before in a video I did, which was my monkey uh, application that um, 
I often use that has a back end and a front end. <laughs> it's like, well, the problem that you often have is that, yeah, I'm running everything on localhost. Well, I can't yeah. run it on localhost because HTTP certs and this. What if I want on a device? I can't talk. It's really like, you can do it, but it's hard to talk oh, to the yeah. local host. So when you debug your back end, you can give it this unique URL and then put that into your mobile app or do other things. DevTunnels is just built right in. It's super duper cool in the community edition. And there's a CLI, so it runs everywhere. So if you want to run this and integrate it to who knows what types of scenarios, you could totally do that, which is pretty cool. So that's like beyond Copilot and Copilot Chat, which has been around for a <laughs> bit, but integrated super nice now. Like those are my favorite IDE features. Do you have any new IDE features? Any IDE. It could be any IDE, Frank. It doesn't have to be... <laughs> Uh, it doesn't have to be anything. You got a favorite Xcode feature? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Xcode feature. No, Xcode has no features, James. I don't know if you're aware of this, but <laughs> Xcode does not do features. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, if, I, if I were to say, well, I'll give an old Xcode feature. It's, it's old to everyone, but Xcode Cloud has been a really mm. nice CI CD. Um, it's nicely integrated with TestFlight. And Apple does keep increasing the capabilities of the CI/CD part of um, Xcode Cloud, and they have really nice actual IDE integration into Xcode. As .NET developers, we try not to spend too much time in Xcode, but when you're in there, you do want it to be a good functioning IDE and to get your job done and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And so I'll say, actually, they did a really good job at the integrated part of the IDE where. Um, uh, you can go view the status of everything right in the IDE, right in a panel, everything updates really fast and they're going to start supporting other languages and things like that. So oh, yeah. before it was really the purview of Swift and Objective-C, but you'll be able to use those cloud features with other languages, let's say like maybe C Sharp. <laughs> and so, <ooh. laughs> so I, I think it's really cool that um, Apple is expanding their minds and allowing us to use other technologies than yeah. normal standard, uh, standard Apple technology. So bravo to them for that. Yeah. That's super cool. No, I saw Tim Sneath uh, tweet about that. that they were going to open it up to other uh, programming languages and that just had me thinking immediately of like, yeah, iOS -y type stuff and Mac type of stuff to get it out there, which would be really mm -hmm. neat. Uh, because, you know, it's like, honestly, to build your .NET MAUI or .NET application, you just need to install .NET, which is really not that hard to do. No. Hopefully. And then to install a workload is like super easy. I mean, I do it on GitHub Actions all the time, right? The only difference is yeah. like, will .NET be installed, game of switcher, or is like, you just have to install it manually, which probably isn't even that hard either. And the cool no. part is that it's now not it's not free <laughs> but there's free credits um for every apple developer account so i feel like hey for 99 dollars i'm getting some value finally yeah besides and honestly shipping apps yeah yeah <laughs> github actions is good but um you do have to do a bit of work to like authenticate yeah. with the apple servers if you want to do like a test float test flight deployment yeah um it, it's not hard it just it gets a little bit annoying honestly with every repo you create you got to add all your permissions your certs your everything and yes i know everyone there are automation solutions for all this there's extensions for all this i know but each one is slightly painful in yeah. their own way and so it's nice to get uh some first party support there so i'm not you know, whenever my CICD builds fail, it's 80% of the time, it's because one of my certs expired or something wow. silly like that. And the more I can reduce that, the 
happier a developer I am. Yes, I totally agree. All right, what else you got for me? You got another AI thingy? What's what's on your I list? I do, I do. Oh, I'm God. sorry. I'm, I'm having my fun AI time. Another update. You ready for another update? I'm ready. <laughs> Full of updates, Frank. I'm ready. Hit me. Uh, what what do you imagine when I remind you of the Tesla Optimus robot? Oh, it's is this the? Well, no, I don't know. Is it is is it when like Elon like just brought out someone to dance on stage? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> it's, sure it's that. It's that. Yeah. Except now it's actually a robot. No, are you stage. sure? Yeah, no. uh, probably fifty uh, percent chance human, fifty percent chance robot. <laughs> we we have to have robot or not? Go see that podcast, by the way, or go listen to that podcast, robot or not. Hmm. Uh, they demoed some new features on it, and I honestly have very mixed feelings when it comes to humanoid robots yeah uh number one they're super cool because when we were all kids and someone said robot what did we all imagine humanoid robots like a person but not a person and the but the truth is humans are a great general purpose device but if we're building a robot there's no reason it should be bipedal uh balancing on two legs is difficult uh, very few animal species bother to learn that skill and develop the mechanics needed it's for true. that skill. It's true. Yeah, it's it's honestly impractical uh, coming from like an engineering robotics point of view. But it's also super cool. Um, I even started a little YouTube series, um, Legged Robots to Balance, um, because it's just a fun topic. Like from an engineering point of view, they're impractical, but fun. And they're really challenging to build. Well, um, uh, Tesla has released, let's call it V2, Mark II, whatever, of this robot. <laughs> My biggest complaint, number one, is it's still the world's worst walking robot. They are not... Um, uh, do you remember the old Asimo robot mm -hmm. from the Honda, I believe it was, robot? Yeah. It is the worst walking robot. It looks like a toy robot when it walks. It can only walk very slowly in a very yeah, jaded way and oh. whatever. Um, I don't want to make too much fun because it's a very hard project. And I would like to see there are better robots like um, Atlas is a much better bipedal robot. It can walk and run and do very dynamic balancing tasks and all of that. Optimus, not so much. But I do want to give them credit because... They're working on the more practical problem now of it has hands. It's a it's a humanoid robot and those hands need to be able to do something. Otherwise, they're kind of useless. And so it looks like that they're investing more time and energy into making those hands do interesting things. Yeah. So sensors on the hand, uh, perception, generalization of like it's pretty easy to teach a robot to pick up a pen. But can it pick up a pen and a cup? and a two by four and get me a beer out of the fridge. You know, it needs to be able to do all those things all at once. And it looks like while at the same time, um, I'm a little disappointed in its capabilities for walking, which I think is the cool part. It's neat to see them investing in the more practical side of a humanoid robot, the using its limbs for good and awesome, <laughs> using its limbs to do actual useful tasks. And the AI problem of, um, you know, just build, build a tower of blocks and things like that. These are the classic problems in AI. Um, they're actually getting to those problems. I, I like to joke, anyone with enough money can build a bipedal robot, but is it actually useful? It looks like um, they are starting to focus on the useful things, 
On the show, we've talked about the uh, Amazon little robot that we're all waiting to come out. That's going to be just a little like a Roomba, but with a cute smile on its face. And hopefully that will be kind of a utilitarian robot. It's neat to see them trying to take this bipedal robot, which by its nature is both scary and awesome, and make it actually useful to humanity and make it worthwhile to buy and build. Also, it's 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 just fun. Yeah, I mean, we did a whole podcast about like Handy and the Samsung ones mm-hmm. that they're doing useful things. So it was cool. It was like you know doing stuff with eggs or whatnot. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'll be you know, interest is how it evolves over time and not just robots do in general. Um, I, I didn't think they were going to continue on. That's fascinating. But, you know, why not? You know, I, you know, there's obviously that it's a next evolution of things coming. Talking about things coming, you know, let's end this thing with a little tiny um, pour one out moment and maybe a little oh. pro- pro- projection. Moment. We can pour one out for Hyperloop. Hyperloop. Oh, pour one out for Hyperloop. Pour one out. There's your update. Yeah, that's um, cool. I want to say too bad, but there was so much negative energy around it. And and a lot of people didn't think it was ever going to work. So and it's a little bit sad that maybe some funds were diverted to it instead of proper high speed rail for the United States. But you know what? United States rail, it's a hard problem. We have mountains. We're big. Uh, It's really hard to build high speed rail here. Um, And Hyperloop is the first victim. All right. Let's talk 10, about depending on how you count predictions. Uh, the humane, human, humane, humane AI pin. This is like from X Apple. You know, have you seen the thing? You put the pin on. It projects things mm-hmm. onto your thing. Um, uh, yay or nay, Frank? Let's get a yay or nay going on. Oh darn it! This one I'm so mixed on, man. How can I do an up or a down? I really want to do a sideways, but you said yay or nay. Um, I'm gonna go with nay. But I think it has potential to become a yay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that this V1 device is quite there yet, at least from the demos I've seen. But I really hope the company, I hope people buy it. I hope the company makes some money and I hope that they um, keep working to improve it. I don't feel any need for the current one. It's going to get an A, but but it's, 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 it's getting there. It's getting there, James. I, it'll happen, I think. Yeah, I am in the same boat. I, I think it's a cool concept. I was spending a lot of time last night, like actually researching it and looking at it a little bit more. And uh, I also watched a few interviews with the co-founders mm. and stuff. I didn't really like their vibes too much. I know that's kind of a weird <laughs> okay. thing to say, but not that I yeah. buy all it's, products. It's valid. it's valid. It's not that I buy all products based on vibes, but um, yeah, I think that it does have some potential or some ideas there. I do like the idea of mm-hmm. disconnecting more, but I'm not sure if it's, all that I think it wants to be. All right, next up, Frank. Yeah. We gotta be quick. We gotta be, I gotta go. I got. We gotta go. It's <laughs> All right, let's talk about threads and matter. Um, this is it. Is it, okay, I just read a review, which is Phillips Hue just integrated in with Matter, and the review was everything in my house just got worse because of this, basically, and it lost all these features, all this other stuff. Matter thread are we going to see the great unification of iot devices in 2024 is it going to happen or is this all just a pipe dream frank i will say it's not happening in 2024 so nay on that one james (laughs) um this is the classic yeah yeah we have too many standards so let's invent a new standard it's definitely facing that problem but um it has potential um much like the humane device because 
enough industry backers are backing it that even if it's a bad technology and you keep pushing it long enough, like USB was a terrible technology in the beginning. It barely worked, but people kept pushing on it, kept investing in it. Same thing for Bluetooth 1 and Bluetooth 2. Yeah. Terrible technologies in the beginning, but people kept at it, kept pushing at it. And eventually we got Bluetooth 4, a version of it that actually worked and did useful things. Eventually we got USB 2, a useful version of USB. And it's possible for it to come out. But even though there's large industry buy-in on them, um, not enough. We're not there yet. Um, It's just going to it's just going to make things worse for a while, to be honest. And so I'm an A. I'm 100 percent with you there. I think that, you know. It's hard. You need the old stuff. You need the new stuff. And we, I can't, you can't even get stuff on five gigahertz bands. You know what I mean? Nor do you want them. I don't know. Uh, it's really it's just a mess. I think it needs much more time to shake out. I also believe that most people don't care. Like, especially if they just have a few things, it's probably just going to work. So mm-hmm. it's probably okay. It's really for more advanced setup. So again, that, that means like our mass people going to understand these concepts. I mean, I barely understand even how Zigbee works. I had to watch some videos on it. I was like, oh, I'll just click a button. It kind of works, right? So yeah. I think we'll get there at some point, like you're saying, where things become very synonymous, just like Bluetooth is. But mm-hmm. I think we're many, many years off. All right, last thing, let's end on a high note. What's the future of AI, Frank? What's next? <laughs> What's next? How are we looking 2024? Is it another year of AI? Or is it the next 10 years of AI? Or is it? Oh, definitely 10 years, but I think we're still going to see a lot of good stuff this next year in 2024. I think a lot of us old AI people are waiting for the bubble to burst because the AI bubble always bursts. Any kind of bubble always bursts. And it's really interesting to see how the technology matures after that bubble bursting. But right now, we are still definitely on an up upslope. We are climbing up in the usefulness and the abilities. We're in a neat stage where there is a lot of low-hanging fruit. Uh, We have a few new models out. We are getting really good at training them. We're getting really good at executing them, especially um, multi-modality. So text plus images plus video plus audio plus, I don't know, smell. We'll we'll get smell-o-vision working. And I think that there's still enough low-hanging fruit that we can easily have a very exciting 2024 because we haven't cracked video yet. Uh, a few companies are just starting out on video. So I think uh, the we have a runway for video. We know exactly how to do video. We just need more power. We need yeah. more money. We need all those things. And that's a good place to be. We need hardware to catch up to what we're capable of doing in software. And that's always a good place to be. What happens after we have video? That's when the bubble might pop a little bit. Um, but I think 2024, we are on solid footing for a good 2024 in that AI world. I agree. I think even if you were just to say, here's what we have today, I believe the integrations are mm-hmm. strengthening yeah. and getting yeah. better and yeah. will be more synonymous, right? Like, I think if I look at the software I use, there's so many opportunities for it to just improve with different AI features. I've seen like a lot of mine start to sprinkle in different features like uh, Descript, which is one I use for transcriptions, has an AI feature that will like learn, like as you're correcting things and it'll go through and trans like, oh, very cool. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Copilot and Copilot chat have just, from where they were at a year ago to where <laughs> they are now, it's wildly different. I mean, Copilot chat didn't even exist. And then as you think about the features that get sprinkled in, 
right? They had talked about, you know, um, hey, we can generate your commit messages for you based on Copilot, right? And you, Copilot is like now inside of the browser, right? And everyone else is creating yeah. code. So there's opportunities, I think, that we'll really see the, even where we're at today, scale out and have deeper integration. And we're talking into writing emails or just browsing the web. We're talking about, like you said, creating little video clips. I send these newsletters out internally and I use like Microsoft Designer and Dolly <laughs> together where you can generate an image and it does a thing and just embeds. It's just like, this is so neat. And as I'm typing, it's like filling in my sentences, which isn't new, but like, it just feels like it's better. Uh, and now I can right click inside of like I use Edge but if you highlight text, you can right click and you can say rewrite with with chat GPT and you can have it yeah. rewrite text for you and, and do different things. So those types of integrations, I'm excited to see beyond the models and where things are going. Yeah. What you're saying is I'm also excited from a developer point for productivity stuff that I've talked about. But I think that 2024 will continue to see the democratization, if you will, of simplification of letting more developers use this powerful stuff easier, yeah. right? You don't have to become a machine learning expert to integrate and sprinkle in some bits and pieces. That's my hope, you know, overall. Yeah. I feel like we're in the beginning phase of that stuff. So I'm really excited to see how that stuff turns out in 2024. That's what has me excited because the dev tool stuff, I'm excited. You know, I, I can <laughs> grasp that, the coding mm -hmm. it and putting it into my app, like it's too advanced for me. Like I could do it, but I'm not there yet, but I know I will be as there's a bunch of smart people working on that stuff, right? Yeah, you just made me, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, and, and it's definitely those dev integrations, not development environments, but what we put into our own apps. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're in the awkward phase of we're just slapping a chat AI into every app. Whatever, it's a good first place to start. But as we as developers get more comfortable with the technology and figure out how to really leverage it to do interesting features in our apps, we have these very powerful networks and we are catching up with the networks in a little bit. The networks yeah. can do more than even we can our imaginations right now. So it's like we need a few generations, not, hopefully not generations, but a few years of programmers thinking on it and seeing playing around, seeing what kind of interesting things we can put into our own apps, aside from just putting a little chat box in the right hand side <laughs> of your app. Yeah. And I should also say that um, in the holiday season, I've gotten to see a lot of relatives and we do live in a little bit of a bubble here. All my developer friends know everything about these like chat GPTs and AIs and how powerful they are and how they can be used. But not everyone knows that right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I have plenty of cousins who I was explaining for the very first time, what is nice. chat GPT and what can cool. it do for you? And so I think we have a lot of, of room in 2024 to uh, get it out there. Uh, get more people comfortable with it, get more people using it. Because honestly, I, and I explain this to my cousins this way, we don't have too many revolutions in computers. Uh, cryptocurrency was supposed to be a revolution, but eh, smart contracts and all that. We all kind of saw the writing on the walls with that one. But this AI stuff, even if we do burst our bubble and we do have another AI winter or something, there is a foundational, fundamental good technology here that we yeah. will use in the future. And I'm excited for that and getting everyone else in the world comfortable with it. And I think that getting people comfortable and figure out how people best interact with these, it is a newer model. So for example, like I'm a real fan of these new slash commands that they introduced into GitHub <laughs> Copilot chat. Which And also they have now contextual base, so you can kind of give it a workspace and things like this. It's kind of nice. You can kind of give it a little bit. You can help the AI, but I think it also is helping you, which is like 
here are common things that you want it to do. So you don't have to like put the guesswork in like, okay, you want to create a test. You want to document it. You want to, you know, like, okay, cool. Like here are some yeah. commands. Like I like that. Let's have it do some yeah. really fun stuff. And that'll just continue to improve. I bet where it feels even more integrated than ever. So I'm excited about all that stuff going forward. Well, that's going to do it for our 2023. <laughs> we'll be back in 2024. We hope that everyone has an amazing holiday and the happiest of New Year's. And we'll see you then. So until next time, wait, until next year, I'm James Montemagno. <laughs> and I'm Frank Krueger. Thank you for watching and listening. Peace. Peace.